Hello and welcome to episode one of Catching Up to Everyone. I'm your host, Brian Janot, and I want to take this time to thank you for listening. Thank you for giving this a chance. Um, Chances are you don't know me, and I don't know you. (laughs) We're we're here together. We're doing this together. Um, I, I wanted to start a podcast for a while. I enjoy talking about music I enjoy talking about video games and movies and things I'm interested in and I enjoy listening to podcasts that share similar interests that I have and you know if if I'm watching a YouTube video where someone's talking about you know an album that inspired them and it's an album I love you know someone's talking about you know the first time they listened to Nirvana's Nevermind, or, you know, whatever, whatever the album is, you know, I, I want to be a part of that conversation too. And I have no reason to be, cause I don't have a podcast. I, I haven't made my own music in years. I'm kind of just a regular guy, I guess, but I, I enjoy being a part of the conversation. So why not start the conversation on my own? And also I have, you know, interests and and influences that maybe you share and maybe you don't. You know, all our upbringings are different. Everyone's raised differently. Everyone has different likes and dislikes and reasons for liking and disliking things. So why not just share my opinion? And if you like it, great. And if you don't, cool. Maybe you'll learn something or maybe I can make you laugh or... Maybe make you smile, make your day better. Who knows? This is all, this is all going to be quite the experiment. But I'm looking forward to doing it. And I want to thank you for taking the chance on me. Like Abba. (laughs) And also, you know, really quickly before I get started on this episode, I believe in giving people their flowers while they're still around to receive them. And I I think some of these episodes, especially this one, which is going to be about my intro to music, um, how I basically grew up around music and the stuff that influenced me, the artists and bands that I love. um, Some of those people are still around today. And if they hear this podcast or they hear about it or given a, a, you know, an opportunity or a clip that someone shares with them, but Hey, you know, this guy really liked your album. I think that's cool. So my first musical memories involve popular eighties music. So I was born in 1981 and the first songs I remember distinctly remember hearing were songs from the Footloose soundtrack the Purple Rain soundtrack, and Making Love Out of Nothing at All by Air Supply. <laughs> and the reason I those songs were around were because my aunt was in high school at the time, and that was the popular music. But I grew up going to church. Like, my, my parents became Christian when I was very young. And so I didn't start... When I started owning music, was I was, must have been around second grade... And it was a lot of Christian music. Like, my parents reached that stage where we weren't really allowed to bring in any secular music, but we were allowed to listen to a whole lot of Christian stuff. 
And so a lot of Sandy Patty, <laughs> a lot of early Amy Grant, <clears throat> um, and Carmen. Carmen was huge. Carmen the Champion was actually the first cassette tape I ever owned. And I loved that album. I loved, I, I don't remember specifically the first time I heard Carmen. I think it was on an Awana trip. I could be wrong, but I think that's correct. And I remember hearing the song, The Champion, and it was poppy, and it was a story, and it was over the top, and it was big, and I really liked it. (laughs) That's like my love for concept albums, and over the top, and just big, and campy, fun, dramatic music. Like, I guess that's where a lot of my influences started, was from hearing this song. It's, and it's, it's a completely ridiculous song. It's the song that's about the crucifixion of Jesus, like Jesus' death and resurrection, but it's in the guise of like a boxing match. It's very strange. And when you listen to it now, it's 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 very cheesy. But when you're, you know, in second grade, it's the coolest thing. And also Petra. Petra was huge too. Like I remember hearing Petra on fire for the first time at church and being blown away because it sounded, it was an arena rock record, but it was Christian and it sounded big and overproduced, at least to my young ears. It sounded like something Def Leppard would make, but it was Christian. So I could listen to it and it was fun and I didn't know any better. (laughs) I thought this was like the greatest band ever. So Carmen and Petra were very big on me, influences wise um very big influences on me and i listened to them pretty consistently growing up um up until about i'll say fifth or sixth grade i mean i was still listening to a lot of church music um a lot of semi-christian rock like petra the imperials um amy grant early amy grant michael w smith um, a lot of that stuff. Rick Crawford. Um, I had the Power Team soundtrack. If you have any idea who the Power Team was, there were this group of like bodybuilders and weightlifters who would break things, <laughs> like smash bricks and ice blocks and bend bars and break handcuffs. It was like this big show, and then they would tell you about Jesus afterwards. Well, they had a soundtrack, and on the soundtrack was a lot of like back then, it's like 1988, 1989, hard rock, kind of metalish music. And I was able to listen to that. So that's like as heavy as it got for me when I was young. And in grade school, you know, <laughs> third grade kids are listening to Metallica. This is back like, you know, 1989, 1990, before like the Black Album. So when Metallica was like dangerous to listen to and Iron Maiden and Ozzy Osbourne, <clears throat> excuse me, in ACDC, and I was listening to Carmen and Petra, like, you know, one of these things is not like the other, but I didn't know any better, (laughs) and, uh, and so, you know, 1991 is when, you know, Nirvana Nevermind came out, and the grunge explosion came, and I was in fifth grade, and that was around the time that I really started kind of dipping my toes into like secular music, you know, bands that weren't Christian. And my best friend, Benny, 
at the time, you know, he was, you know, listening to Motley Crue, Dr. Feelgood album was out, he was listening to Guns N' Roses, and he, you know, him and my friends at school were telling me about all these songs, and Nirvana came out around that time, and they're telling me about this music video called Smells Like Teen Spirit, and it sounded dangerous and cool, and sounded like everything I wasn't allowed to listen to. So, of course, I was interested in it. And the first time I listened to this music, you know, Guns N' Roses, and I would hear songs, you know, at Benny's house, and the first time I listened to Nirvana, it was just like, what is this? Like, it sounded so dangerous, like, in a weird, naive kid's way. Like, a lot of the the hard rock and heavy metal at that time was kind of, it was cheesy, it was cool, but it was, like... A good way to describe it was, like, around 91, a lot of the hard rock heavy metal bands were kind of, like, what I imagined that the cool kids would listen to. Like, you know, Warrant and Slaughter and Skid Row. Like, it was cool and it was MTV and it was, like, what the older cool kids were listening to. But when Grunge came and Nirvana came, it was, like, to my young ears, it felt like it was more street. It was, like, what what I thought the really cool kids, the dangerous kids were listening to, like some of the kids in my class who, you know, weren't popular, but I thought they were cool. Like, that's what they were listening to. It's almost like it was this underground thing that was building up. And it was around this time that I started really, like I said, really listening to secular music, and I still wasn't allowed to bring it into the house. But I guess, you know, when you're fifth, sixth grade and you're entering junior high, you know, my parents kind of realized, like, kids are going to be exposed to stuff, you know, as long as you don't bring it in the house, and as long as it isn't, like, evil and satanic, <laughs> like, you can listen to it. So Slayer and all that stuff was, like, still considered evil and dangerous. I stayed away from that stuff. But, you know, 91 is the grunge explosion. You're talking Nirvana and Pearl Jam and... Smashing Pumpkins and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and eventually um, Stone Temple Pilots would be thrown in there and not to mention all this alternative music like Red Hot Chili Peppers were, were becoming huge and Jane's Addiction and oh my gosh, just all this music ex- exploding on the mainstream. Not to mention rap music is becoming popular. The Chronic is going to be released shortly after this. That would start a whole thing. Um, there's just so much music coming out. But at the same time, like, at my house, like, I'm still <laughs> I'm still rocking out to Carmen. Like, you know, Addicted to Jesus, that was my jam. And then I, I shortly realized, after a while, like, this stuff, like, it's safe, but it just wasn't cool anymore. Like, you you couldn't compare, like, what I thought was the pinnacle of coolness in 1991, like... Carmen and Petra combining forces for the song Our Turn Now, track one off of Addicted to Jesus. I thought that was just the coolest thing ever, you know? <laughs> the ball got dropped in six to two. Like, yeah, rock and roll, Carmen. And I remember playing that for my friend Benny and being like, what do you think? And he just goes, I don't like it. Like, <laughs> you know? He's listening to Guns N' Roses. You know, Use Your Illusion came out. I mean, come on. Like, how can you compare the two? But like I said, I started to listen 
started to listen to more secular stuff, becoming more influenced by what was popular, things like Boys to Men and a lot of pop music and crisscross and around 92, 93 when I'm in sixth grade, you know, we had we did square dance, we did line dancing in gym class. So we listened to a lot of achy breaky heart, a lot of boot scoot and boogie. So I'm listening to that. I'm listening to just a whole bunch of stuff. And so the Christian music I was allowed to bring into the house, like, luckily for us, we lived close to a Christian bookstore. And we lived close to a Christian bookstore that actually had some good music. So I was able to to listen with, you know, they had demos, cassette demos at the time. You could listen to the songs before you bought the album. And I was experimenting and listening to a lot of different hard rock stuff that was coming in. And yeah, it's it sounded like the early 90s hard rock that was becoming passe. But there were still some good gems thrown in there as well. And one of them would be the album Miracle Mile by the band Guardian. I listened to that around, I was like around 92, 93 when it came out. I want to say it came out in 93 or 94. And that really affected me. Because it was Christian, I could bring it in the house. But it was also really good. And it was quality. Like you could, to this day, I still think you could put that album side by side with any of the secular hard rock albums of the day. And it holds up. Like it's fantastic. Like, yes, there's songs about Jesus. But they don't beat you over the head with it. So it's not corny and cheesy like Carmen and Petra were because around 93, 94, Petra was just really becoming just kind of passe. Like they were just doing the same thing over and over, basically releasing the same album over and over. And, you know, popular culture shifted, times changed. And I was growing up and a lot of that safe stuff that I was able to listen to was no longer fun to listen to. You want something new after a while. And so here's Guardian and here's Bride with Snakes in the Playground and Scarecrow Messiah. And here's Deliverance with Learn. Such a fantastic album. And before that, they released, you know, Weapons of Our Warfare, which is, again, you take that album and you compare it to any thrash album that came out around 90, and it holds up. Like, it's quality stuff. And I'm able to, you know, bring this stuff in the house because it's Christian. <laughs> And even though my parents weren't really into metal, like, they looked at the lyrics and they said, okay, like, it's Christian, you can listen to what you want. You know, I'm listening to Tourniquet and Vengeance Rising and Holy Soldier and all this stuff. And at the same time, still dipping my toes into, like, the secular music and MTV and what's popular then. And so all these things started to formulate and I really just grew to love music. I, I just listened to anything and everything. And, you know, I've always been a young metalhead at heart, but I've always kept an ear open to what was different or exciting. And if it was good, I would at least give it a chance. Now, you know, keep in mind, around this time when I'm entering my teen years, I was an elitist. I'm not going to lie. Like, I was that guy that complained about bands selling out. And, you know, the this band was cool when I listened to it when they first came out with an underground demo. But now that they've signed to a major label, they're quite lame. You know, I was quickly to <laughs> tell people all that stuff. But at the same time, you know, like I said, entering high school, 
I was still listening to a whole lot of Christian music, still listening to a lot of secular stuff. You know, Rage Against the Machine were popular. And, man, some of the albums that came out in the mid-90s were just special albums. It was a great time if you loved music because there was just so much that came out and it was just whatever you wanted to hear was out and it was popular and it was on the radio. Like Top 40 Radio was just a whole lot of different stuff and it was just great. It felt like almost like a musical renaissance. Like we came from the 80s where everything was like overproduced and very pop driven and over the top production that's over the top and the 90s like really stripped things down of course as time went on the 90s became overproduced <laughs> ridiculous and bloated but there's that that time where there was a whole lot of experimenting going on and this experimenting also happened in the christian community which i was you know still focusing my attention on because that's what i could bring in the house and now all of a sudden i'm listening to these new different bands off this record label called Tooth and Nail Records. And it's alternative and it's punk and it's hardcore. There was a lot of hardcore that came out on Tooth and Nail Records when they first came out. Those early, those first 50 Tooth and Nail releases were just different. Hardcore and alternative and then punk and ska became popular. Um, a lot of the... <laughs> A lot of the bands I listened to in high school were really bad, cheesy punk and ska bands. <laughs> but that's what was popular. And hey, once again, I could bring it in the house. But I got influenced by a whole lot of, you know, MXPX and Supertones and Five Iron Frenzy and The Insiders and all that stuff too. And eventually, I would start a band <clears throat> with some friends and we started this well, actually, we st I don't even know what to call us. first band I was in was this weird alternative band. And I will be devoting episodes to these bands in the future. I'm not going to get into the history of all this stuff. But I was in several bands in high school. One of them was a horrible alternative band. The other one was a ska punk band that I was in for a couple of years until we broke up. And then in my early 20s, I was in a metalish new metal band for a few years before we broke up. But in high school, I was still like really focused on the Christian stuff. And I was really involved in my youth group. And over time, I really became that obnoxious guy that <laughs> like, if you've seen the movie Saved, I cringe when that movie comes on because there was a time where I was that guy. I was that you got to listen to Christian music. You got to get rid of your secular music. I just, I don't know what my problem was. I, <laughs> I was, I was in a youth group and I was heavily involved and it was my main, um, main social, um, my main, uh, place to, to meet friends. I just blanked on the word social something. I apologize folks. It's it's a it's my social hangout I should say, and I just really got involved to the point where I just kind of became a jerk, and uh, I was that guy. I was and I for uh, sophomore year in high school through senior year in high school, 
I exclusively listened to Christian music, with the exception of a few bands. There were times where I slipped, I fell into temptation and bought a rancid record or a less than Jake record. <laughs> and then I immediately repented and destroyed them to show God that I was serious about this Christian thing. Yeah, I got really, really sideways with the whole thing. And I exclusively listened to nothing but Christian music for like three years. And during that time, I got to say, like, yeah, there was some crap. Awful bands, not going to lie. But there were still some really great bands that I listened to that, again, you, you compare them to other mainstream bands at the time, and they were just as good. P.O.D. being one of these bands. Like, before they signed to Atlantic, P.O.D. put out their second album, Brown, and that was like an album that me and my friends, we just listened to all the time. Like, we just loved that record. You know, P.O.D., and like I said, Five Iron Frenzy, who would go on to the Scott Against Racism tour with bands like Less Than Jake and all these other popular bands, Mustard Plug. I believe MU330 was on that tour. Uh, MXPX were popular. Um... The Newsboys were big. They became mainstream. Um, DC Talk, who I wasn't the biggest fan of at that time, but I was a big DC Talk fan back in the day when they were just a rap group. Um, when, you know, New Thing and Free At Last came out. Free At Last was a huge record that I was you know allowed to listen to. We listened to that thing so many times. Ugh. And then Jesus Freak came out, and that became a huge mainstream thing for a while. There was a lot of good Christian music that came out in the 90s. You know, my favorite bands at the time, Tourniquet, Deliverance, um, they were putting out great records. Um, Blast of the Rocket Boy, who really became Blast of the Rocket Man, put out one of my favorite records of all time. Savior Machine, I discovered. Their, their music, man, just suck its hooks into me. <laughs> I love Savior Machine to this day. Um, you know... Living Sacrifice, Spyglass Blue, just off the top of my head, Clash of Symbols, um, so many great, awesome records I listened to at that time. And again, one of the reasons I got into so many bands was, A, my Christ the Christian bookstore had these great records I could listen to, but also there was a radio program called Vince Tillman's 10 by 12 that played a lot of the new popular Christian music, Saturday Night's from 10 to midnight. And I was I had access to this stuff, which makes it a whole lot easier because back in the 90s, you know, before the internet really exploded, you had to really go out and discover this stuff on your own. And I was fortunate enough to had access to these things. So, like I said, listened to a lot of Christian stuff, became that guy, unfortunately. And after I graduated high school, is when I kind of let some of that legalism go and I stopped focusing solely on just Christian music and started letting myself listen to more secular stuff again. I realized I, was, I, I took it too far and I had people telling me like, dude, you got like, relax. <laughs> You're being a jerk. And I, They're right. And uh, my musical taste changed and well, they didn't change, but I, I listened to more stuff. But October of 2000 is when like, I experienced the second renaissance, I'll say, as far as discovering new music. 
which really hasn't ended. Um, and that was when the first time my friend Brian introduced me to Dream Theater. And he said, hey, have you heard of this band Dream Theater? And I said, yeah, I heard of them, but I never listened to them. He goes, I think you're going to like this, and you're going to love the drummer. And he played me um, Overture 1928 and Strange Deja Vu off of Scenes from a Memory, which was their newest album at the time. And I'll never forget it. It's October of 2000, and that changed everything. I heard those songs, and I went, I like this. I need to buy this record. <laughs> went and bought the CD and listened to it in my room. And I'll never forget listening to that album from front to back. And at the very end, when that CD was over, I literally said to myself out loud, there are no limits in music. Like, I was so blown away by the technicality, the musicianship, the songwriting, the storytelling, everything. I was like, this is what I love about music. I love technical stuff. I love progressive stuff. I love heavy. It was heavy. It was melodic. It was just... It was a concept album. I'm a sucker for concept albums. It was immaculate. And to this day, it's still my favorite album of all time. Like, it's just... <laughs> it changed everything. And I listened to that album so many times, and I went back. At that point in time, I went back and bought the newest... Well, the second newest album, I guess, from that period on, which would have been Falling Into Infinity, and then I bought Awake... And I just dove into Dream Theater. And on the Awake, when I bought Awake, I listened to it and I looked at, you know, the, the lyrics and everything because I'm that guy. I listen to albums front to back as much as I possibly can. And I love to read the liner notes and read the lyrics and all that stuff. I love to find out who the producer is. And in the liner notes, <clears throat> Mike Portnoy dedicated his performance, or I don't know if he dedicated his performance, but he, he mentions Frank Zappa. And I remember when I was younger like junior high columbia house used to sell uh give out those catalogs where you buy 10 cds for a you know a penny or whatever it was you buy one for 20 bucks and you could buy 10 more for like a penny each and i remember always seeing those catalogs in the mail and i remember seeing frank zappa's records and i never bought them because i knew there was no way my parents would let me listen to that I mean, the guy had an album called Weasels Rip My Flesh. I mean, <laughs> the Mothers of Invention and, you know, songs like St. Alfonso's Pancake Breakfast and songs like Titties and Beer. <laughs> like, I just knew, like, there's no way this is getting past my parents. If they find me with this, I'm dead. And I was always kind of afraid of it because I had no clue what this music was going to be like. But he dedicated... You know, in, you know, Frank Sapper, thank you, blah, blah, blah. So because of Dream Theater, I went back and discovered these bands that influenced them. Like, I started listening to Yes. I started listening to King Crimson and Frank Zappa and Rush and all these bands that when I was younger, I was always afraid of. You know, I was always taught that, you know, Rush was New Age and Iron Maiden were demonic and all these other things. Well, finally, I'm in my early 20s, and I, I you know, I, I wanted to discover these bands on my own. What, what was I so afraid of? Were they right? So I started listening to, you know, Dream Theater, and then I started listening to, like I said, the prog stuff, and I also started listening to Iron Maiden and Dio and Black Sabbath and all these bands that I missed out on the first time and just started falling in love with them. You know, Judas Priest 
Dio. Like, oh my gosh, I love Dio. <laughs> Stand Up and Shout is like the most empowering song. Like, it's just so great. Like, it's one of the reasons I love heavy metal is because it can truly bring people together. Like, it makes you feel strong. And if you're having a bad day, like, you can't be in a bad mood when you listen to Stand Up and Shout, you know? You are the driver! <laughs> you are the road, right? It's just, it makes you feel powerful and great. And so I started discovering all these things and falling in love with them and realizing, yeah, you know, I was kind of, I was kind of, uh, extra. I, I, I was, I was too, too anti everything. I didn't really like look at what they were saying. I was just basing my opinions off of what I was told by others that these bands were about. And so my twenties, like really, it, it became this musical renaissance where the things I missed out on, I discovered and also discovered new things, you know, <laughs> it's funny because around this time, my early twenties, like emo was the thing. And while everyone's getting into bands like taking back Sunday and Thursday and people are listening to all that stuff. And I dabbled in it and, you know, some bands I kind of liked more than others, but it was never really my thing. I never felt connected to it. And that's when I started listening to Rush and <laughs> Iron Maiden and Judas Priest and like discovered, oh no, no, this is my thing. <laughs> like you can like the emo, you can like that that's fine. Like you can listen to Fallout Boy, Panic at the Disco. That if that's your thing, cool. But I'm sticking with Rush. <laughs> I'm discovering the brilliance of Neil Peart and his amazing lyrics. You know, I'm I'm discovering, you know, Judas Priest screaming for vengeance, like a perfect heavy metal album, you know, <laughs> but you can keep the emo. That's fine. It, it was just never my thing. And that's okay. You know, I was an elitist back then. I'm not going to lie. I was, I was more than, you know, a jerk about it sometimes, but now I look back and it's like, it's what it's fine. If you're into that, that's cool. And so that kind of takes me to, you know, my thirties and present day where I just never stopped really listening to newer stuff and giving things a chance, but also like really sticking with what I like and just kind of really digging into that. Um, you know, discovering Devin Townsend's music for the first time. That was another game changer for me. Like Accelerated Evolution is one of my favorite albums and Ziltoid the Omniscient. <laughs> Um, just all the stuff he's put out on the Devin Townsend project, his solo stuff, Strapping Young Lad. I, I just think his stuff is incredible. And I think it's so fantastic that in this, this day and age with YouTube and reaction videos, people are discovering Devin's stuff. And he's gaining a whole new audience. And he totally deserves it because he's incredible. And if you want to, if you're like me and you enjoy learning about the albums and the history of a song, go check out the Devin Townsend podcast because you really get into his mind about what was going on in his life during that time and also what was going on in his life during the pandemic as well. And it's just great, just wonderful stuff. And I listen to those episodes at least twice, each one, just because it's just so fascinating to me. And I love his music. I got to see him live back in twenty. 17? Yeah, I want to say 2017. <clears throat> and it was fantastic. 
um, you know, discovering all these fantastic bands like Haken, um, discovering death metal in my 30s, like, finally, like, listening to some of these bands like Cannibal Corpse and Nile and just loving Cannibal Corpse, being able to see them live, headbanging the whole time, like, like I'm in high school all over again. <laughs> um, discovering, you know, newer things now that I'm a, a father and for so long I didn't listen to pop music. I just kind of did my thing and it just wasn't important to me. But now that my kids are kind of hearing things and, you know, their friends from school are recommending things. So now I'm kind of getting back into what's popular. And while it's not my cup of tea, a lot of it does remind me of the songs I grew up with from the 80s, where it's just kind of just fun. Like, come on, shut up and dance with me. Actually, technically it's shut up and dance. But Walk the Moon, like, that's just a fun song. Like, you can you can hate it. It's fine. But it's, it's a fun song. Was that Heat Wave song that came out? Was it Glass Animals? Is that the name of the band? Heat Waves? Like, that's a fine summer song. Even, like, the Dua Lipa levitating song that's cool like i'm not gonna go buy the record but that stuff's fine so i i know i i kind of skipped over like a whole lot of life stuff but i didn't want to bore you with the minutiae of everything basically i started off as a church kid and then i grew up and kind of listened to stuff and gave it a chance and I think ultimately now, as I'm older, I think that's just the best way you can listen to anything is to just give it a chance. Because for so many years, I would ignore things or just crap on it without even listening to it because I wanted to feel cool. And now, like, I'm in my 40s and, like, that's just lame. It's not a good way to spend your life just crapping on things and just being a jerk about it. Like you cannot like things, but you don't have to be rude about it. Just, it's just music, man. Like, let it go. <laughs> don't take it too seriously. But at the same time, take it seriously. Cause there's some great music out there that can change your way of looking at the world. If you let it, if that makes any sense. So that was my intro to music, and that's kind of where I'm at now. I want to thank you for listening to this, like I said. Um, if you have any questions, comments, I can be reached. I have an email. <laughs> Catching up to everyone at gmail.com. I will be releasing more episodes. This is the first. This is kind of a trial run. But like I said, I want to thank you so much for giving me a chance. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you stick around. I'm not going to be that guy to tell you to like and subscribe at every episode. I'm going to tell you at this episode, if you liked it, please like it. Please subscribe. Thank you for giving me a chance. I'm Brian, and I'll catch up with you later.